The following message is by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City. More information is available at our website, www.slcevfree.org. Pray with me. Father, you, you yourself are unstoppable, unshakable, you're omnipotent, omniscient, and I am so far from any of those things, failing and weak, fickle, changing in so many different and sometimes depressing ways. We, your people, are all like that. So we come into your presence, Father, with nothing in our hands that is worthy or impressive, that causes you to take note. We don't contribute anything to you. We come to you asking to receive. Would you, Father, the unshakable and unchanging and immortal and omnipotent one, would you step into our lives as a church, but individually into, into my life, into individual people's lives here, would you step in and uphold and support and strengthen, give life to, give faith to, give hope We need an anchor for our souls, and we are adrift until we find you. So, Father, I ask you to to show up in ways that we can understand and see. Grab a hold of us and steady us. Father, in particular, I ask you, would you use this text to move in us, to cause us to grow in obedience? trust? Would you cause Christ to shine out of an Old Testament text written thousands of years ago? I don't have the ability to make that happen, but you do, and so I ask you to do that. By your Spirit, Father, would you open your word and declare the glory of your Son? Use me as a mouthpiece. Open our ears that we would listen and our hearts that we would worship. It's my hope and my prayer. We depend on you and we need you, Father, Son, and Spirit. So come into our midst. Work your will for your own glory and for our great good. And I pray that in Christ's name. Amen. As we've been looking at the book of Deuteronomy, we have seen that the structure of Deuteronomy follows a very common pattern of treaties of that day. They were written with different pieces to them, and the first piece common to those treaties and to the book of Deuteronomy was a historical introduction, kind of a little bit of a flashback. How do we get here from there? And it sets up the giving of the, the law uh, that the, the king would give to his people. 
Deuteronomy follows that pattern. As we start chapter four this morning, we're coming to the end of that historical backdrop piece. Kind of closing that off in chapter, as we enter into chapter four. And chapter five is the place where God, the ruler, is going to give his law in its briefest statement, the Ten Commandments. So chapter four is kind of an in-between in sort of chapter. Closing off the historical backdrop, but we're gonna see a little bit of history. Opening us up to the law, we're gonna see a little bit of the introduction without any specifics. So we're gonna see this morning, and my hope is that as we look at Deuteronomy 4, verses 1 to 14, that God will use it in our midst in the same way that he used it when it first came off of Moses' lips. That he'll use it here to grow in us a, a heightened desire and a concern for obedience to God. He would develop that in us, and he would also develop in us a, a fear of him. That is, a reverencing of him, not, not a dreading of him, but, but a reverencing of him, an attentiveness to him that leads to obedience. My prayer is that he would use this text along those lines, particularly as we look at it through Christ. You recall from Romans 10 that Christ is the end of the law. We are Christians and we have to look back at this through Jesus. So we'll see how that works in, into the text as we work through it today. I'm going to begin by reading the passage. I'm going to read all 14 verses. This is Deuteronomy 4, 1 to 14. <clears throat> and now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the rules that I am teaching you and do them that you may live and go in and take possession of the land that the Lord, the God of your fathers, is giving you. <coughs> you shall not add to the word that I command you, nor take from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you. Your eyes have seen what the Lord did at Baal Peor. For the Lord your God destroyed from among you all the men who followed the Baal of Peor. But you who hold fast, who held fast to the Lord your God, are all alive today. See, I have taught you statutes and rules, as the Lord my God commanded me, that you should do them in the land that you are entering to take possession of. Keep them and do them, for that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples, who, when they hear all these statutes, will say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call upon him? And what great nation is there that has statutes and rules so righteous as all this law that I set before you today? Only take care and keep your soul diligently lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your children's children how on the day that you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb, the Lord said to me, Gather the people to me that I may let them hear my words so that they may learn to fear me all the days that they live on the earth, that they may teach their children so. And you came near and stood at the foot of the mountain while the mountain burned with fire to the heart of heaven, wrapped in darkness, cloud, and gloom. Then the Lord spoke to you out of the midst of the fire. You heard the sound of the words, 
but saw no form. There was only a voice. And he declared to you his covenant, which he commanded you to perform. That is, the Ten Commandments. And he wrote them on two tablets of stone. And the Lord commanded me at that time to teach you statutes and rules that you might do them in the land that you were going over to possess. Chapter 3 ended with Moses sort of closing off that flashback. He, he's recounting how ver, the last verse of chapter 3, we remained in the valley there. He's, he's got them kind of back to where the whole crowd is. Been working through all kinds of prior events over the preceding 38 years. He's kind of brought them up to speed. And there they are, standing at the Jordan River, looking over at the bulk of the promised land while they're on a portion of the promised land already. And verse 1 says, Now... Hear, O Israel, listen. Flashback's kind of closed. Listen to the statutes and the rules that I am teaching you. Moses is engaged in what's going to be a long sermon here. He knows he's going to be telling them many things, statutes and rules in particular. And that little phrase kind of forms the framework of our passage this morning. Depending on what translation you're looking at, you'll have a couple of different words there perhaps. But you'll see this pairing in verse 1, it begins a section, and then down in verse 5, it kind of marks off the first subsection. And then down in verse 8, it marks off the second subsection. And then at the end in 14, it marks off the third subsection. So the general idea here, statutes and rules, repeated several times. And then there are many other different words thrown in too about commandments and the, the covenant but his basic idea here, he's addressing this statutes and rules. First section is a call to obey them. As Moses teaches them. And in saying that he teaches them, that should tip our hand that there's, there's something, there's a little bit of depth to these statutes and rules. It's not just like a, a code book of the first law, only drive 55 miles an hour. Second law, buckle your seatbelt. It's... Those could be just simple statements of laws, but what's going to happen here is that it's a, to use the same analogy, it's drive 55 because and reasoning behind it. Sometimes it's explicit reasoning, sometimes it's only implicit. But there's something to understand, that's why Moses has to teach it rather than simply list it. Give us a little bit of insight into what the law is about. He's going to teach them. It's going to reveal something about the rule giver, God in this case. Something that the people must get on the inside. To do them properly, to keep his commandments, involves something first on the inside. An understanding of something that needs to be taught. We see a little more of this hinted out in verse 4, where Moses recounts, by way of a warning what happened at this place called Baal Peor. You can read about it in Numbers. The long story there can be summarized by saying, what happened there was a good number of Israelite men were drawn away by foreign women to worship this Baal, a foreign god. They were drawn away into breaking the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. They did, and the Lord struck them down. A good number of people. But he says, however, those of you who held fast to the Lord are alive to this day. 
So there's something about holding fast. So you receive the law and, and you just you get the idea, but you must hold fast to God. Not just to the, the written word, but to the God that's behind it. That's what's going on in the law. A giving of rules that are designed to hold you fast to him, to love him in the heart. Additionally then, verses 6 to 8, moving on to the second section. This keeping of, the God, of God's law, it'll produce a result amongst the people, amongst the nation. It'll make you a great nation. See, repeated three times in verses 6 to 8. The law specifically will be your wisdom and your understanding, says Moses. It'll make you wise And everybody who looks on the peoples, not the peoples in the land, they are under the judgment of God and are about to be destroyed, but the peoples who will be surrounding, who will be around them, will look on and will say, perhaps they are are not fans of Israel at first, but eventually will say, there's something remarkable there. Those people have a law, have a system of governance over them that is wise and filled with understanding. They actually have a God who is near them, not distant and isolated, but is near them whenever they call upon him in need. And he has given them these these rules, these these laws that are righteous. They produce a people, a, a community that is righteous and good. That's what Moses said will happen when they hear and keep the law. Now, he's not pulling those terms just out of nowhere. Those terms would be relatively common Uh, accolades or compliments of rulers of that day it would be the uh, the praising of a king to say you O king have given to your people wise rules your laws are filled with understanding and have created righteousness in your kingdom well done some of these very words were used of Hammurabi perhaps you've heard of Hammurabi's code it's regarded even today as an advancement in how God and how a, a ruler reigned over his land Well, Moses is saying the same thing is going to be true of God. He's going to give you a code that will establish you as a wise and understanding and righteous people and will lead to actually the praise of God as being a wise king who would give such a law. But that will happen only as you are careful to keep it. Verse 9. You are careful to remember, specifically what he says. If you look at it very closely, only take care and keep, not exactly keep the law, keep your soul diligently, verse 9. Moses again pointing us at the inside, beneath the, the, the sheer obedience, you must be careful to keep your internal being fast to the Lord and when that happens there will be a change amongst the people there will be that kind of great nation that he just talked about Moses is concerned that they be changed on the inside and actually so is God verse 10 when God called them to Horeb which is Deuteronomy's word for Mount Sinai where he gave the law he called them to Horeb and what did he say bring them near that they may hear my word and learn to fear me and their children also fear that's, that's an internal reality. Now, he wants them to obey for sure. He's going to give them the, the covenant, the Ten Commandments, that they must do. So he clearly is about obedience here. But he first 
is about fear, something on the inside. What's the fear of the Lord? No, don't, don't think of it as, as like an intimidation tactic or as a, as a dreading of the Lord. Reverence, respect, the kind of fear that says, I will be careful with this thing, with this person. Not to be monkeyed around with, but must be carefully looked at and followed. The Lord calls them to him so that they can see Horeb burning with fire. The whole mountain covered in cloud and darkness and gloom to impress upon them when the Lord comes down to earth, this is what happens. He is full of majesty and might. He is not to be toyed with. That it would build fear in them and in their children. And then to give them the covenant and command them to keep it. And then he gives Moses statutes and rules to teach to command them to keep them as well. That closes off the section back to where he started. That's the passage. What exactly are the statutes and rules? It doesn't say. What exactly happened at Horeb and at, and at Peor? doesn't really say. It's, it's, it's a bridge section where he's moving from the history towards the giving of the law. But his point, Moses' point there, and the point that it has for us here today, let me summarize it in this sentence here. My hope is that this text would work to Fix your attention on the Lord so that you can hold fast to him in obedience. There's an order there. An order that's played out in the passage and needs to happen in our own lives that we would fix our attention on the Lord so that we can hold fast to him in obedience. I'm going to make three observations this morning from this passage to be a little bit shorter than usual. Make three observations. And I'm going to begin by, with the first one here by noting that God's blessing rests on those who obey him from the heart. I'll say that again and listen to that. It might be a little hard for Christians to swallow. God's blessing rests on those who obey him. From the heart. He's been after that. God has been after that since the beginning. When He created people and He filled the earth, He meant to fill the earth with worshipers, those who would follow after Him in obedience. And then He would bless them, and the earth would be filled with worshipers and filled with the glory of the Lord, and everything would be great. And that's not the way it is because of the fall, but that's what God was after from the beginning obedient worshipers that would live always under his blessing. And it's clearly what Moses is after here as well. Listen to the statutes and rules and do them. Verse 1 and 14. Do not add to this word that I am commanding you. In other words, exactly like I say it. That's what you are to keep. Not modified or changed to suit your desires particularly word on word. This is the commandment. Do it. Keep the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you. Verse 2. It's really strong repeatedly. He's quite obviously <coughs> blatantly proclaiming that God wants obedience in his people. 
You can't miss that. And it's equally clear that, the, that there's a connection between obedience and blessing. Verse 1 again, do this that you may live and go in and take possession of the land. Those of you who held fast to the Lord are still alive. Those who didn't, aren't. How do you become a great nation? You hear and you keep these laws and the Lord remains near to you and they are wisdom for you. Not just as they exist on paper somewhere, but as they exist in your life. They are wisdom for you. They produce righteousness in your midst as you keep them. And then he closes off with the covenant that you must do. It's clear. He's got something here that he's working on, a relationship between obedience and blessing. He's pointing out something. This law is good. If you keep it, it will give you life. It will give you possession of the land of rest. It will give you wisdom. It will give you righteousness. It will give you the nearness of God. It will make you the envy of the nations if you keep it. The law is good. And we Christians, I think, these many Christians that I know, we need to, to get serious about obedience. This is not just an Old Testament concept. Paul, in the book of Romans, 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 I mean, come on, Romans is the gospel, isn't it? Verse 5 of the book of Romans, Paul states his whole purpose, the reason he was made an apostle, to bring about the obedience of faith. His second to last verse of the book of Romans, to bring about the obedience of faith. It's in there again in chapter 15 as well. Paul brackets the book that is about the gospel by saying my purpose in life is to bring about obedience in the nations. It's obedience of faith, we'll get to that. But it's obedience. Paul's hope is that we, who are the nations, we're the Gentiles, would be obedient to God's law. And the New Testament's full of commandments. Nine of the Ten Commandments are repeated verbatim in the New Testament. Obedience. I think many of us have a problem with this. Because what we're trying to do in our lives is separate obedience from, maybe we'll put it under a word, grace. Well, we're not required to be obedient. We're required to, to experience His grace. Thank goodness. That has just enough truth in it to sound convincing. But it's hiding something. God has never been about disobedience. To say that sounds ludicrous. That God would want for his people disobedience. No. He wants all people to be obedient. Grace is obviously a significant factor. But we have to get serious about obedience. We see something in the Bible. We, we pray, pick something we prayed this morning. Ask of God that he would give you the nations. And then we see 
go and make disciples of all nations. Now, I'd rather pray. Really? I think obedience would require something more than, than simply a prayer that says it's somebody else's job. Pray, yes, but perhaps there is more that obedience would entail. We would do well, I think, most of us, myself, we would do well to lift up this word obey a little higher in our minds. Obedience is what God expects. Obedience from the heart. And I have to add that word in. So if I don't, I'm in danger of heresy. It's obedience from the heart. I want to put a little special emphasis on that one important point. Genuine God-honoring obedience is first and foremost a matter of the heart. It comes out of this passage. It comes out of a lot of places in the Bible. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speak and the hands act. Which is why God is not content simply to command in this passage. He does more. He aims to influence the heart of his people. That leads us to the second observation. Here's the second observation. God motivates obedience from the heart by teaching us to fear him. He motivates obedience by teaching us to fear, that is to revere, to honor, to respect, to be most concerned with, most centered on, most focused on him. In grace, God does not just stop at simple commandment. He doesn't even stop at listing the the blessings, the promises. He does do that. He promises if you follow life, if you follow, possess the land, you follow wisdom, righteousness. He lists all those things, but he does not just stop there. He does more. He goes, if you will, beneath it, down to himself who stands behind it, behind the law. Moses recounts how God gave his law. How did he do it? At Horeb in an awesome display of his glory. I think it's, it's hard for us to put ourselves there. There are some times when we can see a storm over the mountains and can kind of get a little bit of an impression of what it's like with clouds so dark it feels like it's night. And you can just imagine, if I was up there, that would be a wicked storm. You can kind of imagine that, but it's not the same. Because there's no, there's no God awe in it. It's purely physical. But at Horeb, God drew the people near. Specifically, he says, so that they may learn to fear me. He drew them near to the place where the ground was shaking and the mountain was burning and the clouds descended. He drew them near to teach them something about himself. He could have given his law in any way. He could have appeared to the people in any way, couldn't he? He appeared to Elijah in the still small voice, just a whisper. Appears to us in, in written form. Could have just given the, the law to Moses and said, Here, you tell him. But he didn't. Because he wanted to affect an internal change first that stands behind the obedience that he requires. So he did something. 
He stamped an image on their hearts right in front of their eyes, showed them himself to create reverence. And so, stop right there and think. I can't imagine any other more uh, graphic, drastic, uh, emotionally gripping. You know, you, you've got the, the shaking of the ground. You've got the, the visual of the smoke and the fire. You've got the audible of the voice. I, don't, I can't imagine there being another form in which God could have said, this is who I am. I'm the one who reigns over all the earth. I give you this law. You must follow it. And you must believe my promises when I say there's life in them. I can't imagine any other more gripping, more drastic, more emphatic way that he could have presented himself so as to create in them fear. But did it work? No. It failed. Read the Old Testament. Some people kept some of the lot sometimes. But did they become a wise nation? A righteous nation? With God near them always to bless when they called on Him? Did they live life in the promised land forever? No. It didn't work. Why not? Because God's not who he says he is? No. Because the law is actually evil and it can't deliver those things? No. The law is good. The the presentation of the law from from God to Moses, so full of glory that the the New Testament says Moses' face glowed and he had to cover it. It was a ministry of glory. And, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3, Ultimately, it was a ministry of death. Not because of God's fault, not because of the law's fault, but because of people's fault. There's something missing in here that a simple, drastic, dramatic, emotional, tangible power can't touch. There needs to be something better come to us, to change us, to create the obedience from the heart that God requires. Where does that come from? That's something more and better. It comes from the one who himself is our wisdom and our righteousness and our sanctification and our redemption. You know who that is? Isn't it interesting that 6 through 8 talks about, here's this law, and it will be to you your wisdom and understanding. Here's this law, it will be to you your righteousness. Here's this law, in it God will be near to you. And it didn't work. And there is another one in which it did happen, the one who is himself our wisdom and our righteousness and because we disobey our sanctification and our redemption in which God draws near and is present with actually living in us. It's a remarkable thing. In the cross, 
God does far more for us than he ever did at Horeb. Yes, he just shows. Think of it from the outside, a display. If you were to stand at the foot of Horeb or to stand at the foot of Calvary, you would see something with your physical eyes. And it's a gripping sight, either place. He shows us something at Calvary. He shows us his wisdom. And how in Christ he has figured out how to deal with the sin problem. He showed us that. And he has showed us how his figuring out how to deal with the sin problem leads to forgiveness for us. He showed us that. He showed us his mercy and his grace, his holiness, that he cares about sin that much that he would punish it. He showed us those things. We see that. But it does more than just physically to our senses display something. And here's where it surpasses Horeb in particular. It steps into our heart to change something. To do something on the inside. To enable us. Think of how the Old Testament talks about what would happen in the New Testament, in the New Covenant. Ezekiel talks about how I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees. Hear the obedience there again? I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees, not remove the need for you to follow my decrees. Move you to follow my decrees. He puts his spirit in us at the cross to change us on the inside so that from the heart we can obey him. And his blessing rests on those who obey him. It's a remarkable thing that he does there. He breaks the power of canceled sin and sets the prisoners free. He changes us on the inside. He talks about drawing the people up to Horeb that they may learn to fear him. Draw up near to Calvary that you may learn to fear him and love him and trust him. Be changed by him. So that out of that changed heart, obedience can follow. My third observation actually gets around to what we do about that. Because the first two points are, are kind of more like, like factual items. An explanation of what God is looking for, obedience, and how his blessing follows that, and what he has done to create that in us. To change us on the inside, particularly at the cross by planting his spirit in us. That's all kind of doctrine fact. But he goes a step further in verse 9 and tells us, here's the third observation, work hard to remember and remind of the who, not just the what. I'll say that again. Work hard to remember and remind of the who and not just the what. <coughs> Verse 9 touches on a common theme in the book of Deuteronomy. So we're going to be talking about this a lot. I won't say too much about it this morning. He says, only take care. There's work hard. 
Be careful. Expend energy on this. Take care and keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and to your children's children. Take care, not just to be obedient, take care to remember all the things that you have seen. We haven't seen Horeb. We haven't physically seen the cross, but we have seen it with the mind's eye. If you're a believer, you've seen it with your mind's eye, and you must take care to not forget it and let it slide out of your heart, but to remember it that you may fear him and follow him. Ironically, <coughs> ironically, I'm thinking about this passage this week, getting my mind all wrapped around a pole so that I get so twisted that I can't think straight. And then I realize, oh, that's what it means. And that's what I haven't been doing. And that's why I've had this problem. I, I kind of get inside of it in this strange way. I'm having a week and, and really a month in which I've been spiritually dry and struggling with rejoicing in the Lord, struggling with obedience. And I'm trying to fight against that, and I'm trying to work my way through Psalm 16 that I'd memorized some time ago. This week, while I'm in the midst of wrestling with this, spiritually dry, I'm going through all that, and I, I memorized Psalm 16, and I'm, and I'm reciting it, and then I came to this point where I, got, I couldn't, like, what's the next? And other verses came to mind, but I knew they were too far down. You ever done this when you're reciting verses that you memorized? You know that's next, and it flows from there, but you know you missed something. So I was thinking and thinking, and I couldn't, couldn't get it in my mind. I went back and looked it up, and <laughs> interestingly, the part that I was missing... I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. I laughed out loud when I read that. <laughs> That's the part that I'd forgotten. Verse 9. Take care. Keep your soul diligently, lest you forget these things lest it drift away out of your heart and out of your mind and you wander through life with the Lord not before you, but gone somewhere else. When that happens, all that you're left with are requirements, obedience, I'm supposed to do this and this and this, and pretty soon you won't. It's not obedience from the heart. It's not driven by God. Take care to set your attention on him, to hold him before you. Look at him at horror, but particularly look at him at the cross. And the last part of that verse, and teach your children and your children's children too. A common theme in Deuteronomy. I've been thinking a lot about this one recently, reading several things that have been challenging me and, and leading to a good bit of conviction in my life. But do you realize just how important it is that we, and I'm speaking to parents here, that we take care, not just that we don't forget, but that they don't forget. 
Or first, that they know. And then don't forget. This is our, our primary calling as parents. If you're a dad, especially it's your primary calling. Moms too, though. You're not off the hook. This is of, of great importance to us. I'm reading a book recently where the author, in a sentence or two, says, Do not be deceived into thinking it is the church's youth group, the pastor, or the Christian school's responsibility to raise your kids in the Lord. It is yours. And then he goes on to say about how that reoriented all the priorities in their lives. And I thought, ouch. It's yours. And this is repeatedly where Deuteronomy lays it, at the feet of parents. Your children and your grandchildren, your children's children, grandparents too. We must be clear to our kids, not, and follow that carefully, the same thing that you were supposed to take care of, keep your soul diligently lest you forget these things that your eyes have seen. He's referring to Horeb, not the commandment that they heard but what they saw that grew in them the fear of the Lord. Those are the things we're supposed to take care of for ourselves, and those are the things our kids are supposed to know, the stuff that attacks the heart and changes the heart. Not take care that your kids know to obey. Obviously, I've already talked about obedience, how important it is. But not take care that your kids know to obey. Not take care that your kids know, here's how I am supposed to act, but that they first know, here's God the one who reigns over all of this, the one who made you, the one to whom you are accountable, the one who has done something remarkable at the cross, that they know that, that they see it, that they drink it in, that they eat it, that it is food and water for them and, that they're, and it's their joy. And how does that happen? It first must be yours. Take care that it not depart from your mind and your heart. This is incredibly convicting to me. Because I don't think that it's the church's job or the youth groups or the pastors, although oddly it is sort of. Um, <laughs> I don't, that's not what I'm thinking. But what I'm thinking is that too often I'm thinking that my job is to help you, which is sort of true, but that's my second job. It becomes my first job too often. My first job are the people who live under my own roof. That's my congregation. Every one of you, that's your congregation. Take care that you not forget and that they not forget, which implies they have to know first. Now, there's a a ton that could be said about this, and I'm way out of time. Deuteronomy will come back to it often about the call that parents deliver God to their kids. Not only his commandments, but that they deliver God to their children. It's Deuteronomy's full of it. It must be a priority for us to teach them to know and to fear the Lord. If we will fix our eyes on him, if we will fix our attention on him, change will happen on the inside 
and the obedience of faith that Paul requires, the obedience that comes out of the heart that puts us under the blessing of God, will grow in us. But it comes first from attending to, growing in the fear of the Lord. That's an internal thing. Set your attention on the Lord that you may hold fast to him in obedience. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City in Salt Lake City, Utah. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. We invite you to visit our website at www.slcebfree.org or call us directly at area code 801-943-0091. Our mailing address is Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City, 6515 South Lion Lane, Salt Lake City, Utah, 84121.